Wow, it's good to see you all here. Welcome to our series through the season of Lent. This is our first off the blocks for Lent. Now, some of you are thinking, what is Lent? And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, is Lent that season we celebrate all the things we've given away to people that we lent to them and never got back? Some of you are wishing for a season like that, so you might get some things back that you lent out. That is not what Lent is. Lent might be something more or less familiar with you, but it's actually a season that Christians have celebrated for literally hundreds and hundreds of years, kind of in the six weeks preceding Easter. And it's a season set aside as preparation to get ready for Easter that's coming. It's kind of like Advent. We've been more intentional around here as a community of celebrating Advent that four weeks up to, up to Christmas so that we kind of get ready to celebrate. The series, uh, the season of Lent is, is, is like that, except that we're now preparing for the Passion Week of Christ, for the celebration of Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. And, and we're kind of asking ourselves in the season of Lent, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus who so willingly went to the cross? What does it mean to follow him now, after his resurrection, but before our resurrection, before our death even. I'm very excited for this season because we're going to spend six weeks in my personal favorite biography of Jesus. There's four of them. They're usually called Gospels, which just means good news, the good news story about Jesus. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth one, and that's the one we're going to be digging into. It's called John because it's been traditionally attributed to him, but it was kind of written anonymously. So uh, there's a few theories of who wrote it, but we'll just go with John. We can't look at the whole story of John for Lent. It's, it's too long, of course. But we can dig into a few special moments just before that first Easter. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to explore some of the very last stories that we have in, in John's Gospel just before Jesus then sort of sequesters himself away with his disciples for a few hours, gives them some final teaching. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. A whole bunch of teaching, chapters worth. And then he is arrested and tried, beaten, crucified, dies. All these stories we're going to be looking at through Lent are found just in three chapters, John chapter 11, 12, and 13. But before we dig into our first story today, story of Lazarus, there's something important that we need to know about this gospel of John. Everything in John, everything we read, is told for one single purpose, to help us see who Jesus is so we will trust him with our lives. That's his purpose, to help us see who Jesus is so that we trust him with our lives. At the very end of John, after Jesus had already died and then rose again, John gets extraordinarily specific about why he spent the time and energy to write this gospel. Listen to this. It's at the end of John chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose statement for the whole story of John about Jesus. And in ancient literature, it's very, very rare that you get this kind of overt statement of purpose. You usually have to dig around for a bit. You usually have to do some sleuthing to figure out, like, what was the purpose here? And you base it on the things they said, the things they didn't say, and the things they focused on, and the words they used, and you try to figure out what's the purpose. But here, John states it all out in bold letters. It's all about 
making sure you know who Jesus is so that you can believe in him. It's all about believing in Jesus. John's take, John takes this belief motif and he writes the entire, every bit of his story through that lens. How can we be sure of that? Because believing is featured from start to finish. Would you believe that the word belief or believing or believe, that you know, a variation on that word, is used 98 times in the Gospel of John? There's only 21 chapters. You're going to hear it later today when we read through it. It is used all over the place. Every story, every passage, every character, every teaching can really be summed up at the end of each one of them with the question, well, what about you? Do you believe? Every one of them. It's astonishing. John tells his story so that we will believe that Jesus is the anointed Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we would live through him. He's super clear about that purpose. But the word believe can be kind of confusing in our, in our culture. It can kind of trip us up. We can use the word believe and automatically think of all the things we believe about Jesus, his divinity, his resurrection, his healings, all those things, which are absolutely true and absolutely crucial. Believing in Jesus does include believing those things about him. We do believe he's the son of God. We do believe he died and rose again. And we recited the Apostles' Creed today. I requested that because I wanted to highlight the fact that there are accurate things to believe and to proclaim about Jesus. That's a great description that the church has literally recited for 2,000 years as a way of capturing what we believe about Jesus that is true. But believing in Jesus moves way beyond what we think about Jesus in our heads. And the word used in the Bible, in particular the word used here in John, is about a whole life believing. You could even say it's about believing into Jesus. It's that kind of a word. Believing in Jesus then means we entrust ourselves to Jesus. Believing Jesus means that as we understand who he is, as we come to realize he is who he said he was, we then let him lead in our lives. We surrender our whole lives to him and become his devoted followers. It's so much more than what we believe about him. It's also believing into him. And so every story we're going to hear in this Lent series, because every story you hear in the Gospel of John, is going to prevent, present some kind of a variety of this question. For those of us who are uh, exploring faith, those of us who've been traveling in this community for a while and are still trying to figure out, like, who is this Jesus? Do I believe him? Am I sure? The kind of questions that are going to be posed to you each and every time reading through the whole Gospel of John, but the stories we're going to look at, this is the kind of question. It's going to kind of lean across the page and say to you, so, what do you think? You know? What do you think of this guy? Do you believe he is what he said he is? How are you processing this? These are the kind of questions that will be asked of you who are exploring, who aren't sure, who maybe have held Jesus at a distance. For those of you who have followed Jesus, For a while, short time, long, it's going to be questions like, so, where are you at in your trust? Are you believing into Jesus? Are you continuing to trust him with your whole life? Are there areas in your life where you've pulled back a bit? Where you've been hesitant to fully trust? What about you? Do you believe, is there steps you need to take to more fully trust Jesus in your life? Or perhaps some of us, maybe if you follow Jesus for a long time, maybe you realize even in this that I've been believing a lot of things about him. I've even been able to rattle off all the true things about Jesus, but I'm not really believing into him much. 
nowadays. I need to move from the head to the heart. I need to respond as a whole person in trusting Jesus. One of the ways that John helps us do this through his whole gospel, but particularly in the stories we'll be looking at, is he always features characters. He draws characters out of his stories that represent a variety of responses to Jesus. We're going to see that today. We'll see people in the stories who who really want to believe in Jesus, but they aren't sure what that means for them. So there's some hesitation. Others, um, they, they sort of believe, but then they hold something back. There'll be people who, who actually think they believe, who make even these grand statements of belief in Jesus, who, we discover, have no idea what they're talking about. And, and then there'll be those who just completely reject him. They, they will not accept what Jesus says about himself. They don't find him convincing. They certainly are not going to trust Jesus with their lives. In fact, some of them walk away, but others, they respond violently to Jesus. They, they seek to kill him, and in fact, they succeed for a couple of days. And so these stories we read in John, they beg us to find our place in them. Even as we read today, you'll have a chance to ask, where am I in this story? Like, if I were there, who would I be? Am I willing to trust him? Would I be willing to trust him based on what happened here in this story? And as we engage that question, we find ourselves responding as I think the author intended. That as we come to see Jesus more clearly, we have to make a choice of whether or not we'll trust him. There's no real neutral position that's allowed. We have to either step forward or step back. Well, that's the setup. And I hope it'll be helpful for us as we spend these next six weeks in these stories in in John. Today, we're going to start in John chapter 11. It's the famous, famous story of Lazarus's early resurrection. Let's read it together. This morning, it'll be more of a preach slash teach. Let's just walk through the story together and see where it takes us. See how it helps us see Jesus more clearly but also challenges us to respond in trust to him. John chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. That's next week. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Let's pause there for a moment. Did you hear that? When he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's got to make you pause for a moment and say, what is that? He delayed coming to his friends, the friends that he loved, when they needed him the most. What is with that? We're going to come back to this, but I just want you to see something here as we travel through this story. Just because Jesus delayed in responding doesn't mean he didn't love them. In fact, it's super clear in this story. Although he loved them, he waited. We can feel in our lives like delay means a lack of interest or a lack of love. 
We can feel like when God doesn't respond in the ways that we feel he should, in the timing that we think he should, that it means that God doesn't really see what's going on. Or, or maybe he just doesn't care. That's how we can feel. But nothing could be further from the truth. A delay in response from God doesn't signal a lack of love for you. It's in those moments of delay he's growing our faith. Let's keep reading. We're going to come back to that. Verse 7. Finally, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That's the area that's surrounding Jerusalem. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people of Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. I don't think they understood a clue what he was saying because, frankly, we have a hard time getting at exactly what are you trying to say, Jesus. But then he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples, ever so helpful, say, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will get better soon. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people who had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss... When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me ask you, what kind of faith is this? Does Martha believe in Jesus? Does she trust him? Yeah, she does. She trusts him enough to know that he had the power to heal her brother, if only he, you know, showed up on time. And that's actually a lot of faith when you think about it. It's all grounded in what Jesus had said to her, what she had witnessed, and what he had done. He's a healer. He's sent from the Father to bring life, and, and she believes that. But, as we will see, there's still a lot of room for her faith in Jesus, her trust in Jesus, her understanding of who Jesus is, there's still a lot of room for it to grow. She doesn't yet realize how much greater Jesus is, how much more there is to him. But She's going to find out in this event, in her life, as well as, of course, the life of her sister and, of course, her brother, it's going to move them all to a deeper level of trust that they never could have imagined. Yes, if Jesus had been there, her brother would not have died. True statement. But, if Jesus had been there, her faith would never have grown either. So what now? She hints at it. Already in this story, you can, you can see what a woman of faith she is. There's a glimmer of hope. There's some sense in what she says next that maybe, just maybe, is impossible and as ridiculous as it may sound, that maybe Jesus is still able to do something about this tragedy. And I think that's amazing. Listen to what she says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, but 
I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now. Just soak in that for a minute. Even now. What is she saying? You've got to remember what she's facing, right? She knows what a dead body looks like. She would have prepared it for burial. She's looking at what is likely the single largest tragedy of her life up to that point. The loss of her dear brother, yes, but also in a culture where two single women needed that social covering of a, of a male family member, she's also losing her provider. She's also losing her protector. Her life has just gone down the tubes. And yet, there's a glimmer of hope in what she says to Jesus. What about you? What about you? Are you looking at an area of your life where it just seems hopeless? Where it seems like all is ruined? Are you staring into the tomb of your dead marriage? Are you barely surviving in a body that's racked with pain or insisting on shutting down? Are you able to still say, with Martha, but I know that even now, even now, God, you can do something about it? Have you been struggling with a friendship that seems determined to die? Or have you been feeding and clothing and housing a teenager that seems bent on making your life a living hell? Or perhaps you're past the point of trying to get your parents to pay attention to you and you just want to give up? Jesus, if you'd just shown up sooner... You know, if you just arrived when I first asked you to, you could have saved this situation. I know that if you'd stepped in three months ago, things would have been okay. Jesus, where were you when we needed you the most? But, even now. I love those three words. But, even now. Can we try it? But, even now. Now, say it like you mean it. But even now, but even now, she says, I know you can make a difference. There's power in those words. There's power in her faith. And then right at that moment, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever we ask. Then Jesus offers to Martha what I think would have felt like a warm platitude. Kind of the equivalent to what people love to say at funerals. Like, well, he's in a better place now. Or at least she's not in pain anymore. Or those things that people try to say. Jesus says something like that to her. Or at least it would have sounded like that. He says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, quick as a whip, responds with the theologically correct answer. Listen, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. What's going on here? When Martha, what Martha hears is Jesus say something that most Jewish people believed at the time. There's some exceptions. The, the, the group that's running the temple, they didn't believe this nonsense about the resurrection, they thought. But most Jewish people believed at the time that when this age was done, not at the end of time, they didn't have that concept in their minds, but when this age is done and God ushers in the new age of his kingdom, everyone's going to get raised to life again. That someday, in some distant future, there would be a general resurrection of the dead. That's what most Jews believe. And Martha basically says, yes, I, I believe that. I mean... But there's something in here for me. I, I think she kind of like says the answer, but in her heart she's going, yeah, that's, that's great. But I, I was kind of wondering about, you know, today. I, I was kind of wondering about now. You know, yes, okay, fine, resurrection at the end. I, 
I get all that. I'm really happy about that. I mean, you know, my brother will rise again. But, but that still leaves me and my sister in the lurch. But in the end, I guess it'll all work out. And I just kind of feel like she's going, yeah, yay. You know. And that's when Jesus takes everything to the next level. Jesus says to her, remember, she just professed her faith in the resurrection in the end, at the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asks. And there's the question, the one we've been sort of set up to expect, the driving question of the whole Gospel of John. Do you believe this? Do I believe what? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That that the resurrection is not, is not just some far-off event that gives us hope. It's true, it is that, but it's not just that, but rather the resurrection is a person who lives and breathes. And, and do you believe that by trusting your life to him, death is no longer this fearful unknown that it's always been? That in Jesus, the math, it, it, it blows our minds that dying no longer equals death. That's what Jesus said. Dying no longer equals death. Even though you die, you'll live. What? Well, how does Martha respond? Very powerfully, actually. Very clearly, very confidently. She says, yes, Lord. In response to his question, do you believe? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I wonder exactly what she understood at this point. But it's a powerful statement of trust. It's a powerful statement of faith. And as readers, we're meant to hear that as a powerful statement of understanding who Jesus is and expressing her trust in him, even when she didn't know what that meant. Jesus, yes, you are the one we've been waiting for. I trust in you. Well, we'll come back to this, but let's get to the rest of the story first because Martha also has a sister. We've heard her mentioned. Her name is Mary, and she's just as devastated as Martha. So Martha, after declaring her, Faith in Jesus returns to Mary. Verse 28. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have we heard that before? Do you think that maybe Mary and Martha had been reciting that line to each other for a while now? Maybe, I like to think that maybe in the hours that their brother lay dying, they, they were saying to each other these reassuring words, it's okay because as soon as Jesus comes, he'll heal Lazarus. Right? As they're bathing his feverish brow, as they're anxiously watching him diminish, they're saying to each other, it's okay, Jesus, he'll take care of this. As soon as Jesus shows up, he'll take care of it, he'll heal him. We sent the message a couple days ago, Jesus should be arriving at any time. They're looking out the window, they're waiting, they're watching for Jesus to come and do the thing that they know he can do. Touch him, speak a word, boom, Lazarus is up and enjoying a midday lunch before you even know it. And so they're saying to each other, as soon as Jesus comes, as soon as Jesus comes, as soon as Jesus comes, but then he doesn't come. 
and their brother dies. And as they're weeping, as they're preparing his body, and as they're wrapping it up, and they're doing what they have to do, did their words begin to change where they said, if only Jesus had come. You know, if only he had shown up, we know that our brother would not have died. If only he had come. And was that the words that were ringing through their hearts and their minds? Days, as days passed, and Lazarus is in the tomb, and then finally Jesus shows up, and I feel like out of their mouths burst the same line, the line that they've been saying to each other, the line that's been resonating in their hearts, Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, you're too late. If only you'd come earlier. Well, Jesus hears this from Mary, but he responds differently. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed the blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its surface, its entrance, sorry. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will, what's that key word? Believe you have sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus does the unexpected. No one was looking for this. No one was expecting this. And yet there he is, Lazarus, the old stinker, up and walking around. Jesus told Martha that if she would believe, if she would trust that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life, she would see the glory of God displayed in the glory of Jesus. And she did. They all did. So why the big delay? That's the question that kept coming to me through this story. Why the big delay? You know, why wait and let the sisters endure the kind of trauma they experienced? The days of, of, of anxiety as they watched their brother slip away. And then the days of mourning. Why did he do that if he knew all along he was going to show up and reverse the whole situation? Why would he do that to people he loves? Why would he cause them that kind of heartache? Because that must have hurt. That must have been terrible. Their whole life had crashed down. Why would he wait? Well, I think we can already see it, right? Very simply, because Jesus delayed coming, he was able to reveal more of himself to them, more than he had ever shown them before, and that revelation of who he was would change their lives forever. You see, God doesn't delay in answering us so that we lose faith in Him. He delays in answering, so our faith in Him will grow bigger than it's ever been. God's delay is for our good. 
By this point in John's story, everyone within a few days' walk knew that Jesus was a healer. There's nothing that Jesus couldn't fix. They'd seen him do amazing things. You know, he'd healed a lame man who was now known for running marathons. He, he, he fed thousands of people from some kid's lunch. And there's even some crazy story way back when where he actually turned water into some amazing wine. And just last week, just last week, he healed some dude that had been blind from birth. Simple sickness was no contest for Jesus. But are you getting it here? Because Jesus was getting to be old hat. You know, oh, another miracle from Jesus? Yawn. Been there. Done that. It's what we expect. Oh, Lazarus is sick? No problem. Send for Jesus. He'll take care of it. They expected him to swoop in with his entourage. Heal Lazarus up quick. And then they'd have a great visit together. And then he just didn't. He, he dillied, he dallied, he delayed. He tells his disciples why he's doing it, but they miss it entirely, as they often do in this story. He explains that Lazarus is dead asleep. They think he's just sleeping. Then he has to get super clear. No, actually, he's dead, but it's all okay. How is it okay? Well, you're going to see death. I can deal with death, Jesus says, but they don't really get it anyway. And so when the time is right, Jesus arrives, and those closest to him, the friends that he dearly loves, are pretty disappointed in him. He has not come through. He failed to be there when he should have. He didn't come when he was called. He didn't do what he'd been asked to do. Have you ever felt like that? Here's it. Here's here's the truth. I want you to hear this really carefully because this is going to strike some of you right where you live. Jesus is willing to hold part of himself back today so that he can reveal more of himself to you tomorrow. Jesus is willing to hold part of himself back today so that he can reveal more of himself to you tomorrow. And this is the key. Are we willing in those times of delay, in those times of confusion, in those times when it seems like we have cried out for an answer, we've asked him to respond, we've asked him to do something, and he is not acting in the way that we want him to act. Are we willing to trust him at those moments? Are we willing to trust him with his timing in our lives, knowing that he is good, knowing that he loves us, even when we're so very disappointed in the slowness of his response? You know, Jesus shows up in this situation, and effectively what he says is, you already know I can deal with sickness. It no longer surprises you. Now let me show you what I can do with death. It's like Jesus says to them, look, I'm more than just a healer. I'm the very antithesis of death. I'm the death of death. I'm life itself. Jesus says, I'm more than just a wonder worker. I'm the very antithesis of the grave. I am the guy who digs the grave for the grave. I'm resurrection personified. Do you believe this? You know, Mary, uh, or Jesus asked Martha if she believed before he had actually raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, Martha, are you willing to trust that I'm the resurrection and the life? Are you willing to trust that I can bring life where it seems impossible? 
And he asks us the same question. He asks us if we're willing to entrust our lives to him before we receive a full answer, before we know exactly what he's going to do. He asks us, will you trust me now? And now that we see what he can do with death, not only in this story, but we see what he can do with death in the whole story as he comes through death and into resurrection life. The question is, in those places where we are experiencing death, where we are struggling with the delay, are we willing to trust him even in those moments with our lives? That's the question the story asks us. Well, how did the people in the story respond to Jesus? I warned you that John will often have different characters. This story is no different. Let's quickly finish verse 45 to 53. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Yeah, no kidding, right? They knew. They were not gullible people. They knew what a dead guy looked like. They also knew when he got put in the tomb. They also knew that he was going to be pretty ripe by the time they rolled it back. They were not under any illusions. So when they saw it happen, they believed in Jesus. But not everyone. Some Verse 46, some went to the Pharisees, that's a a hyper crazy religious sect within, not a huge group, but they had tremendous influence in the time of Jesus, and uh, they hated Jesus. And so some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Looking for brownie points, I'm not sure. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs, like the understatement of the century. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then, and this is where it hits home, this is where it gets personal for them, if everyone's believing in Jesus, then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. They were worried about Jesus as a political threat. Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation be destroyed. And then John does something, the author does something interesting. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he interjects with an explanation of what happened there. Caiaphas was a wicked, awful man. Wicked. Terrible guy. He's the guy who oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus. But he wants to insert and interpret what's going on. He says, verse 51, Caiaphas did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that, that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, the nation of Israel, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. Jesus comes to town and does the impossible, the unbelievable, the unexpected. And we do find that, of course, there are many people who believe in him, who are willing to place their trust in him, who look at the guy and say, man, if he can defeat death, I'm willing to entrust him with my life. But there are some who, even though they witnessed it with their own eyes, found it unbelievable. Some tattled, others seethed, seeing Jesus as a political threat and then plotting his ruin. But everyone in the story, without exception, had to respond to the question, do you believe? There's no neutral position in this story or any other one. 
Everyone gives an answer. Do you believe? Will you trust this man who has now been revealed to be much more than you thought he was? Are you going to believe in him? Will you trust him completely? And particularly as we look at the story for those of us who are maybe struggling with the fact that God is not responding in the way or the timing that we thought he should, are we willing in those moments when it feels like he's delaying and we are desperate, are we going to continue to trust him because he's good? Were you able to find yourself in the story? Well, as we wrap up today, I want to suggest some practical responses for us of what it means for us to trust Jesus. The first one's super obvious because we've been talking about it. I know that for some of you, you're in places in your lives where it feels like this whole delay thing is getting super old. Right? You're like, yeah. Does it stretch into years and years too? How do you keep trusting in the middle of delay? I want you to know that in the middle of the delay, Jesus and his love for you has never changed. He's got something in store for you that is bigger than you can imagine. And in these moments of delay, the question for you is, are you willing to keep trusting him? Keep trusting. Like last week when we talked at the end of Psalm 23, we talked about how the surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, right? That, that God is good and you are loved are the absolute foundational truths on which our lives rest. And are we willing, even in those moments of delay, to say, God, I know you love me. Jesus, I know I can trust you. You see, if Jesus had shown up right when they wanted him to, if Jesus showed up right when we wanted him to, well, we might get what we thought we needed. But we wouldn't have come to know Jesus and his greater power. We wouldn't have seen his greater identity revealed. And Jesus, listen to this, as hard as this may be to hear, Jesus is willing to make us wait for our sakes, for our good. He's willing to make us wait so that he can show us more of himself. And in that revelation of who he is, our lives change forever. Will you trust him in the delay? Second, will you trust him to the death? What I mean specifically here is those areas in your life which you feel have died. You feel like you were the one wrapping up a dead body and sticking it in a tomb. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with a brother or a sister, someone that's been estranged from you for a long time. Maybe it's your own body and it's refusal to get better. Maybe it's an ongoing struggle with mental illness that just doesn't seem to go away. Maybe... It's an ongoing battle with addiction. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that some of us struggle. There's an area in our life where we feel it is just dead. And there's just nothing that can be done. And yet there's a part of you, as you begin to see Jesus, and even in this story, there's a little part of you that wants to say, but even now, God, I know that you can do something here. Because as we discover, death is just not a challenge for the one who is the resurrection and the life. If that's you today, and you'd like to receive prayer specifically for an area in your life that you feel is dead, at the end of the service, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer. Dana will be here, and if we need others, we'll, we'll recruit some other trained people into it as well. But if you would like to receive prayer specifically for an area of your life that you feel like it's dead, and, and, and I need to trust Jesus in that, uh, please respond by coming for prayer at the end of the service.
And then third, so we trust him in the delays, we trust him in, to the death, but also, and this is more generally for all of us, for each one. Just as there was no neutral party in this story, there's no neutral party here. The question is, will we trust him with our lives? I don't know where you're at, but we're all somewhere. We all are moving toward Jesus or away. And stories like this and others, they put the question to us, don't they? They say, so where are you? Are you willing to trust him with your life? What's the next step in your life? Is it away or is it toward? And what does that look like for you? Is there an area of your life that you've been holding back on? Have you been just sort of dithering and hesitating? Not because you really have any more questions about who Jesus is, but just because the implications of following him are something that frightens you. You don't want to give something up. You don't want to change. What is it for you? Maybe you've professed for a long time to follow Jesus, but there's an area of your life that you've never trusted to him. And you know that today, to take the next step, to trust him, the one who can raise the dead, you need to come clean with Jesus and say, I'm going to trust you with my whole life. I don't know what it is for you. That's the answer that you need to give as you respond to Jesus' question, do you believe me? Do you believe in me? But I know that each of us has to respond to that one way or the other. And so for you, how will you respond? Do you believe? I want to ask as we close today, if you would stand, and I'm simply going to pray for us, that wherever we are at, that we would respond to Jesus, that we would trust our lives to him. So will you stand as we close today? Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. Death is no struggle for you. You you overcame it, not only in this story with Lazarus, but you yourself died and rose again from the dead. That's not a fairy tale. That wasn't made up. That's a historical fact. And Jesus, we confess that we forget that. That we, we forget that we're dealing with someone who's already conquered death. And we, we wrestle with whether or not we can trust you with a part of our lives. And so Jesus, I just ask today that wherever we are at, wherever on the journey of faith we are, whatever, whatever that next step is, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would, you would encourage us, you would give us the courage, you would challenge to take that next step. Whatever it is we've been holding back, whatever intellectual objections we've been surfacing that we need to deal with, whatever hesitation in areas of our lives that we don't want to see change come because we're frightened of what we'd have to give up, I pray that in all these things we would see you for who you are and we would trust you with our lives. For those today who are experiencing death, who are looking at something in their life that has died, I pray for faith, for encouragement. I pray that in the midst of that, you would be revealed to them. For those who are struggling with delay, where they've cried out to you again and again and again and again for you to respond, and it feels like you are not responding, I pray, Lord Jesus, that in the midst of that delay, they would see you, they would trust you, they would repeat to themselves the foundational truths of our lives. You are good, and we are loved. You are good, and I am loved. And that we would continue to step forward and entrust our lives to you. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. By believing in you, we have life in you. We just confess that today and thank you for being so trustworthy. Thank you for leading our lives so well. We believe in you. In your name we pray. Amen.
God bless you today and as you leave and in the week ahead. May you experience a continual courage that comes from the Holy Spirit as you trust in him. God bless.